Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of solo scriptura and total scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects. You can check us out and buy stuff at westminstereffects.com. Make sure you join the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook so you can uh, hop on the discussion and even contribute to the show. Uh, also, you can support the show at anchor.fm and you can support us for even a dollar a month. Help us improve, subscribe, and comment on Facebook and Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I am joined in person by... Spread Lecox. Here I am, Pastor, Resurrection Church, Greer, South Carolina. <laughs> and via the interwebs by a guy with an impressive monitor setup going on in the background. <laughs> hey, everybody. John insane. Ross here, Westminster Effects artist, uh, uh, systems engineer, which is why I will be minimally uh, participatory in today's episode. Uh, Augsburgian Christian, uh, sexy systems engineer. Is that a thing from Lincoln, Nebraska? <laughs> would that uh, would that compete with like office space or something like that? You know, I, I just think of, uh, of Weird Al Yankovic, um, all about the Pentium. Yes, I remember that one. It's yeah. all about the Pentiums, baby. <laughs> you think your CPU is really neato? What kind of chip you got in there, a Dorito? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Weird Al. Is he still mm-hmm. active? Quality is he still stuff. going? Yes. Yes, he did an epic rap battle of history. Oh, nice. I got to look that up. He's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, I, I think he did it. Uh, yeah, he was the moderator for the first debate that they... Or, or maybe that was Shimohoyo. Regardless, I don't know. Epic I'm rap not, battles of history. I'm not are really up on my. So. Yes, absolutely, and he is in at least one of those. But regardless, um, apparently, internet curmudgeon. Uh, but yeah, uh, work to do. Well, enjoy that. So, uh, Bradley and uh, one quarter to one half of John, <laughs> <laughs> our uh, our inquisition. Well, our main topic stems from an inquisition. A question submitted by good old Justin Tenkate, friend of the show, designer of the Edwards Overdrive version 2, by the way. Uh, So thanks a lot for that, Justin. And we actually had him on the show uh, when you two couldn't be on uh, a while ago. So go back and listen to that one. Justin's a cool guy. Uh, He might might contradict that, but I enjoy him and his existence. (laughs) And he asked, (laughs) he asked, what is man's chief end? And why does it matter in the midst of a pan- of a pandemic, mm. which which is such a such an important question mm. uh, right now, um, where we understand the Westminster Catechism, I believe I believe it's the shorter Catechism, uh, the answer to what is man's chief end, and the answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Uh, John Piper tweaks that and says man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So whichever angle you take, and I think both are correct. Yes. Um, you, you can't really argue with either. Uh, but one of the big things that we we've seen this year of 2020 is I just heard the stat yesterday that deaths of despair. So suicide, overdose, uh, alcohol abuse, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we're, in November and up 75,000 on an average year. Um, I don't know exactly what 
what an average year entails, but 75,000 is a significant number, even in, uh, in a, in a nation of 330 million, mm. uh, because you know, it's, it's not like we cycle through everybody every year. Right. <laughs> um, so how, how do we, how, why does that matter in the midst of a pandemic? We've are, we've already answered or I already answered and then Bradley agreed. And then John didn't refute anything while he's over there being a systems engineer that. Yeah, answered. no, I'll, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I will, I will agree uh, with that. Um, the, uh, the doxological nature of God's creation uh, does not end uh, with uh, the selfish little human beings who have fallen yes. into sin. Uh, so yes, the chief end of man, uh, to enjoy God and glorify him forever. I would absolutely concur with that. Um, I'm sure there's some Lutheran person that, <laughs> that that's generous, right? A Lutheran person somewhere who'd be like, but actually, um, but yeah. Um, you know, I wanted to tack on, uh, to that statistic you shared. Um, one of the, uh, one of the the points that was brought up in in the message from this past Sunday at Christ was uh, in which we were wrapping up a uh, a series about uh, about idols, uh, essentially idols unmasked, and we went through uh, the idol of health, the idol of money, the idol of fear was this week. Um, kind of uh, oh, the idol of politics was was another one. Actually, I don't think money was in there, um, but the idol of fear was this past week. And some of the statistics uh, that were shared kind of as a, uh, a primer to the message were, uh, were ridiculous. I mean, it was like 25% um, of young adults have contemplated suicide in the last mm, 30 days. Mm, wow. Um, mm. One, you know, it, it, it's, it's amazing. Um, that, that really, something that is, like, that's actually baffling. Uh, yeah, that's 18 to 24, I believe, is is that age range. Um, and it was something of like one in two uh, adults are are now or could now be diagnosed with clinical depression. Yeah. Um, because of the, what has transpired in the last year. Um, I mean, certainly... Uh, you know, and, and fear, you know, we should, I, I want to be clear that, that we're not taking the edge of this whole coronavirus is nothing, you know, don't be afraid of it. Right. The fear is stupid. Fear is weak. That's not what, that, that's not what we're getting at. Fear is legitimate. But, but when our fixation on fear overcomes our fixation on the cross. Yep. Yeah. Uh, then that's where we run into issues. Yeah. So I wanted to tag that on. Uh, you guys continue, and I'll chime in uh, when necessary. Uh, any other computer people in the house? Remote desktop services, baby. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you're enjoying your remote desktop services there, <laughs> Bradley. What you got here? Well, you know, I I started to think about this young lady that I've been counseling recently. Um, she's in her mid to late twenties. Mm-hmm. Daughter of a friend of mine. Um, she is a professing agnostic Mm. and although she grew up in a Christian home, albeit somewhat dysfunctional, um, she, she knows the gospel. She knows, she at least knows the content of it. Right. Um, and it, and at some point, maybe multiple points or another, she's professed faith, but at this point in her life, she's a, she's an agnostic and, 
without going into a whole lot of detail, real short summary, she about, I don't know, several months ago was on the side of her bed with a loaded pistol in her hand and contemplated pulling the trigger mm-hmm. for about 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, and th- there's a whole long backstory that sure. leads up to that. Always point. is. Uh, but the, the most recent part of that backstory was she was living with a, a man and, uh, in a relationship that she considered to be very good, uh, brought her a lot of joy. He's a lawyer. So they had plenty of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lived in a house. Uh, she has a son from, a um, a previous marriage that was also living with them and they had this life, right? It was, it was like the, in some ways, the, the quintessential American dream life, and over time, I don't know what all the circumstances were. This relationship came to an end. Um, they broke up. She moved out. Um, and her whole infrastructure, her the infrastructure of what made her happy and what she perceived made her life great came crumbling down. Yeah. And it all kind of culminated with this moment where after weeks and weeks and maybe a couple of months of, of trying to drown her sorrows in alcohol and drugs. She's sitting on the edge of her bed, trying, you know, contemplating killing herself. So as I started to meet with her and talk with her about that, and I realize this is not pandemic related, but sure. I'm going to connect the dots. Um, as I started to meet with her, one of the statements that she made was, as I started to ask her about, okay, you're an agnostic. So you don't, want to, or you don't believe that you should focus on Jesus and the gospel and the truth of scripture. So where are you going to go from here? Yep. Was the question I asked her. And she said, well, I want to rebuild my life. I want to, she said, if things would have stayed like they were living with that lawyer in that house, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of this American dream lifestyle, if things would have stayed like they were, I would have been content. And I said, okay, Um, so what you have is you have a structure, uh, you had a structure and the structure crumbled Yep. and what was left was not sustainable. Yep. And it made me think of the parable Jesus told in Matthew chapter seven, where he says, beginning in verse 24, if anyone, if anyone hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because the foundation was on the rock. But whoever hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. Now, we probably, those of us that grew up in church, we we, we sang little jingles about that parable. Um We're we're familiar with it, but the point is very simple and very clear. If your house, if your life, if your structure is built on a solid foundation, the inevitable rains and winds that will come, Mm -hmm. you know, they will come. It's, there's just no, nobody's going to deny that. Even if they don't believe the gospel, even elsewhere, Jesus promised you will have trouble. You will have trouble in this world. So when it comes the question for all of us is what's your life built on? Yep. It's not what, not what is built, but what is it built on? I mean, I have a great life. I have, I have a, a lovely home. I have a wonderful wife. I have two amazing kids. Uh, I have two cars. I, I, I work at a, a great church. 
I, I'm not a rich man, but I don't want for anything. Right. Um, but all my, I'm healthy. I'm 43 years old. I'll soon be 44. I'm healthy. I can still get on a bike with you and ride, you know, 18, 20, 25 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, I can play golf. I can play. You complain tennis. the whole time you do it. <laughs> I do complain. I but, did. I was doing my impression of you today when I was riding with my dad. And he, at one point my dad turned around, he's like, okay, Bradley, <laughs> what was that impression? I want to uh, know. Just grunting up hills. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you had cancer. <laughs> So anyway. for, for those that don't know, Cody's dad uses his cancer as a, as a means of trash talking while we're riding. He did talk some smack he last week. That smack. was amazing. So, but my, my point is very simple is that, you know, all these great things about my life, your life, John's life, everybody's life, they can all come crumbling down at any yep. moment, any moment. Yep. And the Bible does not promise us that that won't happen. There aren't coins, spiritual faith coins that we can put in the God slot machine that guarantee us that our emotional, physical, relational, and financial infrastructures won't come crumbling down at some point. What the Bible does lead us to have faith for, believe for, and receive and enjoy is this foundation, this chief end of our existence, which is to glorify God by or and enjoying him forever. Yep. Um, that God is all satisfying. And when all other, you know, means of satisfaction erode underneath us, mm-hmm. what's at the bottom of you? That's the question that everybody has to answer, regardless of whether or not they're a Christian. What's at the bottom of you? If 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 this young lady, this is what I told her, I said, if you're gonna rebuild your life, and it's really led to some sweet conversations with her about the gospel, even though she's resistant is because it's amazing how, when everything's stripped away, suddenly people start to realize I can't build my life on temporary things. Right. And I think that's at the heart of the question. Yeah. I see uh, you bring up a great point where, where so many people are realizing that they ultimately kind of don't have a foundation in the first place Exactly, where we're in so many and everybody has their own echo chamber to an extent. Mm-hmm. Like I, I wouldn't be going to this church if I didn't agree with the overwhelming majority of what was taught. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody's going to have that to an extent, but what this, what 2020 and, you know, quarantines and shutdowns and whatever have kind of exposed about a lot of people is that they have no legitimate community. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, you know, if, um, if you're a 25 ish year year old, uh, you basically hang out with other 25 year olds. You don't have people 10, 20, 30 years older than you saying, no, this is what you need to do. Or yeah, do it. You're doing a good job. Keep doing this thing, which is, one of the things that the church does really, really well. And I was actually having this conversation with my wife yesterday. We have a, a family member who is, his marriage is falling apart. And there's a, there's a, again, a whole big, huge backstory to that, but he's going to Christian counseling. Mm -hmm. And so is his wife and they're going individually and together, but there is no, support structure beyond that. Right. 
they they have kind of attended a mega church at a distance mm-hmm. and there's no pastoral accountability there's no christian community yep and it's 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 really like I mean, when people get depressed like in a pandemic and they go to counseling um, the counselor might give them some really good advice. Like a good doctor would give you some medicine if your blood pressure is through the roof. Yeah. But if there's not a support system and, and support structure that is complementing that you can keep going to the doctor, they can keep giving you pills, but if your lifestyle doesn't change, it's not going to, mm-hmm. neither is your health. And in the same way, when all of our emotional, physical, financial, relational, support structures crumble, we can go to counseling and we can get some good advice, but this is what the church does so well when it's working right, is it provides this, this community of people who are all pointing each other to the cross of Christ. Like John Mm -hmm. said, that, that rather than focusing on our fear, we're focusing on you know, the cross of Christ and the victory that he won, the empty tomb, you know, because Jesus said in this world, you'll have trouble, but then the finish the verse, Yep. but don't be afraid because I have overcome yep. the world. And that's the rock, right? Yep. That's the rock that we can build our life on and be confident that even if everything crumbles, then our chief end is not compromised. Yeah. That's, that's such a huge part of the good news. Yeah. So I've been, I've been, working on a theory that I literally just thought of two days ago. So it's, it's rough, (laughs) but but I think it fits here and it's not necessarily like a a post-millennial thing. Like I think it could just apply to history in general and redemptive history Hmm. is throughout redemptive history. uh, You, you have God saying not this and not this and not this kind of like what he did in the old Testament with types and shadows. Right. Mm-hmm. So you got mm-hmm. prophets, priests, Kings, whatever. And God saying, no, these pro not these prophets, not these priests, not these Kings. You know, it's not about a sacrificial system, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's Jesus. Yeah. So it seems you have tribes in ancient history. So small enclaves of people. And then it's, well, not that that's, that's not what we're looking for. Mm. Uh, And then you have city States. Well, that's not what we're looking for. And then you have like these, you know, Greek empire, Mongol empire, Roman empire. Well, Mm. that's not what we're looking for either. Right. Uh, And then that kind of blossoms into like a divine right of Kings kind of Mm. thing in the middle ages. Well, that's not what we're looking for. And now we're kind of seeing maybe late stage uh, enlightenment thinking Mm -hmm. uh, uh, with super democracy. And I'm not saying democracy is bad. I'm not advocating for totalitarianism by any stretch. Anybody who's listened to this podcast for more than five minutes knows my leanings. on that. Benedict Arnold. (laughs) So, so not enlightenment stuff, not, we're not looking for a democracy and ultimately it's what we're looking for a kingdom. Yes. Right. We're looking for a king. Yes. We're looking for a savior. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and within, you know, that savior rules over his kingdom, totally sovereignly. Mm. And that's, that's where we're trying to live. Ultimately, obviously not trying to do a heaven on earth kind of thing or anything like that, but, but that's what we're looking for. And, and so many people have been trying to desperately prop up some kind of utopia on earth, whether you want to talk about, uh, communism or whether you want to talk about socialism in general or, or even the current political situation where whether it's 
Trump in the Oval Office or Biden in the Oval Office, that ruins or renews and redeems the entire country, depending on your perspective. <laughs> Which is so, you know, I, th- I think everyone would agree that the the Christian church in America, in large part, I, I, you tell me if you think this is right, in large part has had some sort of infatuation with Donald Trump. Like there's this, this almost a Messiah complex that's unhealthy. Even it's, it's one thing to agree with some of his policies. Right. Uh, but it's another thing to herald him as a quasi Messiah, which yep. I think yep. the church has borderline done in some parts of the, of the country. Many of them. Yeah. Many of yeah. them have it particularly, uh, I mean, we can say it like particularly like the more prosperity driven churches, certainly more, more really gone, gone and very, route. very Southern, God and country kind of churches yes. as well. Yes. Um, but, and, 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 and there's a lot of angst in the church right now because it seems that he's lost the election right. and there's a lot of angst. I was reading Daniel chapter two the other day. Mm-hmm. Such an interesting passage because uh, I would encourage folks to go back and read it. Um, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Yep. You know, when we know Israel's in exile, Nebuchadnezzar's ruling over God's people and he has a dream and he is so disturbed by this dream. He comes to all his wise men and he says, I want you to not only interpret the dream, but I want you to tell me what the dream is. And the, and the wise men, his, his counselors respond back with King. Nobody can do that. You got to tell us the dream. (laughs) If we're going to, we might be able to interpret it, but you can't, you can't expect us to, you know, just, know the dream without you telling us and then also interpret it. And he's like, Nope, my word is firm. And if you guys can't do that, I'm going to kill all of you. (laughs) And so they're freaking out. Right. And they, they like, and he's just adamant. He's given them like a certain amount of time, I think. And he's going to kill them all if they can't tell him the dream and interpret the dream. And so they go crazy and they go and find Daniel. Yep. They're like, Oh man, you know, here's Daniel in exile. Daniel being ruled by one of the most wicked kings in human history. And he's a prophet and they go and they find Daniel, you got to help us. The king's going to kill us. And so long story short, they Daniel goes in and he tells Nebuchadnezzar the dream and he interprets it after praying and, and, and seeking the Lord about it. And this is what he tells Nebuchadnezzar. God says to you, I have made you king of kings, which is such a powerful statement, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That God would say to one of the most wicked kings in human history, I made you, I gave you all this power. There's God flexing his God muscles, reminding Nebuchadnezzar, look, you're in power because I put you there and you're serving my agenda. And I, I just thought that's so powerful. We, we as the people of God need to think that way, that God would put, you know, I'm not saying Biden's wicked, evil, shameful. I mean, we could, we could have a debate about that and his policies and the democratic platform. Certainly, certainly there are things that I just, I'm repulsed by yep. that Democrats advocate for, but God put Nebuchadnezzar in power for the sake of his people. Mm-hmm. So why would we not at the end of an election, even if we didn't, if it didn't go the way that we hoped it would, our house, our structure is built on a rock. And that rock is King Jesus who rules the universe. 
And so if the infrastructure crumbles, we're still standing on solid ground right there because God tells Nebuchadnezzar, I made you king of kings. I gave you all this power. Mm-hmm. You know, what a, what a powerful chapter yep. in the Bible. Yeah, Gabe Brinch in last week's episode brought that up too, is regardless of the election outcome, regardless of whether it was totally secure, if it was a sham election or whatever, is whoever becomes president January 20th, pretty obvious it's going to be Biden. Yeah. You know, you know, I know some of you, uh, some of the Trump supporters out there are still holding out hope for lawsuits and stuff. But at this point it's like, eh. so regardless of how that was done, whoever is inaugurated on January 20th is who God wants to be president. Right. And if, if Biden, this is where I think we, we have to go as Christians. I mean, if, even if you're listening and you wouldn't consider yourself reformed in your theology, I think the Bible's clear about this. I don't think it can be argued against is yep. that even if Biden is in office by corruption, mm-hmm. God is ruling over that corruption Yep, and over Biden being in office by yep. corruption and Biden will ultimately serve God's agenda. And I know yep. that's hard to get our minds around. That's a whole new kind of category of thought that the Bible creates for us, but there's such hope and good news that overcomes fear It overcomes the fear because we know we're on solid ground. And, you know, all the passages in Scripture that talk about our citizenship in heaven, you know, when Paul talks about it in Philippians, you know, we, we we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When he says to the Ephesians, you know, you, you know, Christ was raised and is at the right hand of God, the father far above all rule and authority. And you're seated with him in heavenly places. The apostle was writing those things, writing that truth to people who felt really small in the world. Mm -hmm. They felt so small and out of that. Things were just completely out of their control. We have no power over the power structures of the world that might come against us. And Paul's saying, look, I know you feel small, yep. but you're a citizen of the kingdom that will last forever. Yeah. If, if Nebuchadnezzar was put in power by God for his purposes, we, we understand that Genghis Khan, Alexander, the great, uh, Julius Caesar, Nero, uh, you could jump ahead to like Henry the eighth, <laughs> Joseph Stalin. <laughs> yep. Um, and, and particularly Stalin's kind of been on my mind recently because I've been listening to the Gulag archipelago, Mm. um, where, I mean, it is gut wrenching detailing what happened in the Gulags Mm. in in Soviet Russia. Uh, but Solzhenitsyn talks about how there were people who were converted to Christianity in the Gulags and, you know, some of them died the very next day. Wow. So here's a hot take Pharaoh. Huh. How about that? <laughs> I will have mercy on Hero. whom I have mercy and harden whom I will harden. Mm. Attaboy, John. And God called him his that servant. Entire, that entire narrative from Egypt to Exodus and beyond. It's a grand orchestration to show us now, then, 10 years from now, hundred years from now, however long the, uh, the Lord, uh, would keep us around, uh, to show us his sovereignty and that we may 
uh, bask in his glory that he has shown us throughout the ages. I mean, it's, it's incredible to think of, I mean, so often when we consider uh, the story of the Exodus, uh, the story of Moses, that we think that, that God's interaction there started when he set the bush on fire. And that wasn't, you know, it's of course not the case. Mm-hmm. I mean, he put Pharaoh in power, assumably knowing what would go down. Yep. Also that he could raise up Israel, raise up the tribes within Israel to craft the lineage of Christ that would go all the way into Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy, to be born, to die, to rise, to pay. I mean, just, gah, crazy. I, the, the, just the amount, the long game, the long game impresses me uh, every single time. Well, and we need that perspective on narratives like that. I mean, you're right to say, John, that the, the story didn't begin at the burning bush. It started with Abraham. God told Abraham, Mm -hmm. your descendants are going to be enslaved. And, you know, I've heard people principalize the story of Joseph as a, an example of how we can prosper and gain influence and wealth and provision (laughs) in the, in the wake of, you know, people, even our own family turning against us. But when you zoom out and look at it, you know, that whole thing that God was doing with Joseph was all about getting his dad and his brothers to Egypt to sustain them in a famine and to put them in the country where they would be slaves so that he could deliver them as a foreshadow of the, the ultimate deliverance of God's people through Christ you know, Christ, the greater Moses. So it's, it's it, like, we, we need that narrative because again, let's bring it full circle back to the question. The chief end of man is not to create a utopia on earth mm-hmm. as it is right now. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so whatever God is doing, even in ruling over sovereignly ruling over the most wicked people and governments uh, and cultures in our history is he's, he's everything's pointing to Christ and everything's pointing to the kingdom that will last forever. Yep. And so we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, what does Peter say? We went through it at res this past Sunday. Don't be surprised when fiery trials come knocking on your door. Don't treat that like it's a stranger that's showing up unannounced. Yep. Welcome it knowing that God is testing and proving your faith and so on. That's, that that's the narrative of the bible the uh, it's a meta narrative in the bible that our chief end is glorify god enjoy him forever um not build houses on sand yep uh yeah i don't think we can really improve upon that i know i can't so let's move on to the inquisition This is the Inquisition, where you, the listener, via weekly post in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge, contribute to the show. You ask us questions, and we answer them on the spot. Well, really, for 
the other two guys that's uh that's really what happens anyway hey john's showing off his uh, westminster effects hand-wired theologically sound coffee mug that you can also purchase on westminstereffects.com with the vintage logo mind you yes with the old logo updated yes updated in what the last month month and a half yeah, maybe even I don't know. I've got the yeah, yeah. I've I've got the relic, the, uh, <laughs> and not and not relic as in it's been beat up. <laughs> no, it is thoroughly stained with coffee though. Good, it makes it taste better. Good. So cast iron pan. Yeah. So as is tradition, we start with Brian Morris, who asks, "What's the last non P Dubs song that you learned to play?" Mm. I've been working on "Mandolin Rain" by Bruce Hornsby. Oh yeah, or, is that what we're talking about? Secular songs? Yeah, well, just non-worship songs. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I, like the piano part on so, that. So Tupac, <laughs> it's blasphemy for you to bring up Tupac. Bruce Hornsby's one of the greatest piano players ever, <laughs> rock and roll pianist, you know, ever. And I was trying to figure that out the other day. Yeah, it's hard. It's it, it, yeah, I can imagine. You, you know why I like Bruce Hornsby? It, it's like I'm not. I wouldn't consider myself a great pianist, but his style is big chords. Yeah. 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 You know, just really thick, rich chords. I have big, thick hands and I play hard and I like, I like big being chords. able to basically spread out. Oh, I love I, it. I, I like doing that on the guitar with drop tunings, you yeah. know, like drop D drop C sharp or whatever. And you can really spread out on yeah. some of those layered chords. Meaty. Yeah. What you got, John? Uh, my speciality, uh, just crappy blues licks. Mostly. <laughs> Um, that's, that's usually, that's usually what I work on. You know, I throw on some Steve Rave on and I'm like, I wonder if I can do that. Or, uh, uh, actually John Lee Hooker is what I've been listening to. As some of our listeners may know I'm a, I'm a vinyl, uh, aficionado, um, with a, with a pretty sizable collection of, uh, of blues and, and classic rock and then some other albums that I'll never listen to, but I'll never get rid of either. Um, like bet Midler live. Never even listened to it, but, uh, who else has it? Me. That's who, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, throw that, just throwing that stuff on and, and hearing a, hearing a lick or, or even something stylistically and see if I can adapt it. Um, you know, I, I'm not, uh, ashamed, uh, nor do I think I, I should be, or anyone else should be, is that, um, my preferred genre, even listening to I, I i should clarify when i want to listen to music like with the record collection or you know i'll just put on whatever I'll, I'll pick a random album put it on and i'll enjoy it but what i consider to be my default style and other people's default styles when they get into the car what do they put on you know, what's already on the radio, what's already on Spotify or Amazon music or what have you. And for me, that is, uh, that is, uh, contemporary Christian music for the most part. I mean, Rich Mullins does still fall into that category, I believe. Mm. Um, but even when I started playing guitar, like, like with the exception of like cover gigs and things that I've done, I mean, the majority of music that I ever worked on and connected with as a, as a guitarist has been, has been Christian music. I mean, the first song I ever learned was uh, horse with no name by America. And then I think it was American pie by Don McLean. Um, nice. you know, but you know, also, uh, 
you know, every move I make and trading my sorrows and stuff like that. And because when I was, I, I, I've been, I started an orchestra in like fourth grade. And so I, my musical understanding and knowledge is very classically trained sort of deal. Um, but when I picked up guitar, it was because I was engaged in like camp ministry and I wanted to be able to play these, these campfire songs that we had been playing. And then, then eventually through high school and college, getting into more of a worship ministry, sort of worship circle, uh, sort of vibe. And that's always where, where I've connected. Um, so rather than necessarily learning to play secular stuff, um, mostly the secular stuff just influences how I play the stuff that I play anyways, which is more of the CCM. Like, um, you know, maybe one of these days I should record my in-ear mix and you'll just hear a bunch of, uh, just a bunch of stuff. That's like, wow, it's a, a terrible mashup of like blues, classic rock and green day. <laughs> that is, that is me. That is how I play. And, uh, all of that stuff, whether it be licks or tonality or technique, um, ends up working its way into uh, into the non secular and in, in, into the Christian music world, and uh, you know, and I'm cool with that. I've come to terms with that. That I'm, um, I may never be a, a bar musician again. You know, I may never uh, be in a secular band that goes out and tours because my my heart is for church music, and I'm I'm cool with that. Um, but yeah, crappy blues licks. <laughs> so uh, mine is actually the, uh, the you could say the fault of our new worship pastor, um, where his his rhythm that he's kind of instantiated here at Res is at Thursday rehearsals. You know, gonna we're gonna go through a psalm together. So he asked me to do one. He's like, just pick one, whatever you want. And uh, for some reason, the first thing that popped in, into my head was Psalm 77 because of the old Christian metal band Zeo song, PS 77. So I went back and played some of that song and whatever. And I was just like, what other Zeo stuff have I meant to learn, but never did. So I last week learned the rising end, the first prophecy by Zeo, which is just pure chaos. And uh, it's off of there. <laughs> it's off of their album entitled the funeral of God, which is a concept album where Jesus comes back in revelation. He's just like, no, y'all are messed up. I'm out. <laughs> so it's like a, so it's like a, what if Jesus came back and just said, Nope, you're on your own. <laughs> and, uh, that like that song is just pure chaos. And it's a lot of fun to play drop C lots of distortion, lots of chugs. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So the, so the 11 to 56 strings I put on my, on my Gibson scales came in very handy. Yeah. (laughs) Heavier strings are good for you. So next question, Ryan Eigel has a really interesting question. We could probably turn this into an entire episode if we wanted to. And he asks, why does most of the modern American church reject the idea of family integrated worship? Has this in the long run hurt our churches and the raising of our children as Christians? You know, I, I saw this question yesterday and this is a foreign concept to me. Uh, you know, being raised in, the Lutheran church. Um, we've always had kids in our services. Like, I mean, sure. Larger churches have like an education hour that overlaps one of the, 
you know, one of the worship services. I mean, Christ is, is no exception. You know, 930 is the education hour and there is a worship service during there. And some parents do choose to send their kids to Sunday school and uh, go to church, go to the worship service that is uh, themselves. Um, we actually saw that when I, when I was a, a confirmation or, or a catechism uh, teacher, um, one of our requirements was that our catechumens needed to take sermon notes. And at least half of, of my small group were uh, taking their notes off of the audio recording. We, we weren't live streaming at the time because the, the spicy cough hadn't, hadn't happened yet. <laughs> um, but, and it blew me away. I was like, Hey, so what's, you know, why are you listening to the audio? Cause they would put it on there and, you know, listen to audio recording on the website. And I'm like, why, why are you, why are you listening to that? And it's like, well, my parents go to church when I'm, you know, when I'm in, in, uh, in Sunday school, I was like, Oh, and I didn't really know what to do with that. And turns out it's, it's, it's fairly, uh, unfortunately common. Um, but with such a large congregation, I mean, we, we don't have the facilities to, to have a, a Bible study or, or pre-service devotion time that, that would hold, uh, everybody who, who might attend. Um, so I guess there may be some, some scheduling things there, but aside from those cases, I mean, the only real separation I ever saw as a kid were some churches had a cry room. I mean, the churches of my childhood never did. It was allowed kids in church. That's fine. Like, yeah. Like, so let me add, I I mean, we, 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 well, we have to keep in mind that, that the Lutheran tradition is, is steeped in the, I mean, it is steeped in some Roman Catholic tradition in which the right and the rituals and the motions of doing things were important and were used to teach as well. And right. so in that sense, you know, having kids kneel when their parents would kneel would eventually teach them to kneel when they were older. Just like I learned the other day that the whole reason why schools in the fifties had the big metal school bells uh, were to train them to be better factory workers. Um, you know, like that, that was brought up to me the other day and, and kind of blew me away. And I was like, you know, that's not the only place we see that, but sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, and, no, I wanted and, to ask you, John, like, so you at, at Christ Lincoln, you guys don't, you do or do not have what we might typically call kids church during the adult service. No, not really. Uh, we have, like I said, we have Sunday school, which does include a large group opening. Uh, but, uh, I, I wouldn't consider and, that to be, to be kids church. And that's only uh, during one of the services on Sunday morning, right? Correct. Yep. Isn't that's that only during nine, the 930 mm-hmm. to, uh, 930 to 1045 hour, which is where all of our Bible studies take place. Um, mm-hmm. Sunday school from, uh, the littles all the way up through high school youth group, uh, and, and whatnot. That's where all that takes place is, is in that hour. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I've never, I mean, I've, I've of course heard, but I've never even experienced a, a kid's church, so to speak outside of, uh, you know, the, uh, like youth gatherings and, and things like that, that, uh, that I've participated in. But, um, so just as that concept may be somewhat foreign to, to you guys, the inverse of having kids church is foreign to me. I don't even know what that would look like. 
Uh, in fact, my cohort at the church, Josiah, who's our, you know, kind of our primary, like frontman worship leader sort of guy. Uh, he led worship for kids church at his church in Dallas before he moved to Nebraska for school uh, a few years ago. So um, I was like, Oh, how, how does that work? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It, definitely interesting. The, the differences there. I think the, the, there, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a very negative response to this question. Um, <laughs> yeah. and I'm not saying that it's entirely accurate. So little disclaimer there, the most negative perspective we could take on that question is that because of some just consumer driven mentalities that mm-hmm. often creep into the church, there is the expectation that among a lot of people, families, individuals, that when they come to a local church, you're not only going to provide me with something, yep, but you're also going to provide my children. I'm going to be able to drop my kids off and have them cared for, entertained, and educated while I enjoy the Sunday morning service. And mm. so there's a bit of what have you got for me kind of mentality that I think drives a lot of that. Here's what's so interesting, though, about covid and the impact that it's had on churches like Res and, and many others that aren't like Christ Lincoln, you know, in this regard, is that all so much of our infrastructure has been deconstructed. Right. And we're about to bring on a children's ministry director very soon that I have talked with her about the fact that you you've we've got the opportunity to build this back because we're still not even doing anything close to what we were doing pre COVID in terms of children's ministry. Um, We've got the opportunity to build this back with a whole new ethos, whole new focus, a whole new vision. We can do it exactly like we want to do it because we're not going to have to, the deconstruction has already happened for us. Right. And so if there are things that, we were trying to prop up that weren't efficient, weren't effective, uh, weren't conducive to more of a family focus when it comes to worship, because I think that's needed in the church. I think we need more of a family focused worship experience in the church as a whole, not just in Lutheran tradition, but in the evangelical church as a whole. And I think I've talked with this, this lady we're about to bring on that, I, I think we can build this back with a much more family focus. We've already had that conversation. So I, I think that's a, that's a really good question. And um, I think we've got a, churches like Rez especially have an opportunity to really maximize what maybe some of the good things COVID has brought about. Yeah. yeah. My, my, my church experience was similar to John's actually. Uh, uh, with a with a minor tweak where they had um, something available for kids through is either kindergarten or first grade. And then after you got through that, through that age, you were in the main service, you know, and they obviously had nursery and toddler kind of stuff available. Um, and obviously I don't have any skin in the game per se, because I don't have kids. So it's, I don't, I'm not like, Hey, take my kid or no, I want to keep my kid or whatever kind of thing. Um, but you're absolutely right. Like we do have the the opportunity to kind of rethink everything mm-hmm. and just go full blown simple reformando. What's the best route to take? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it could be, oh, sorry, John, what, like it, it okay. could be, I'm not saying that it is, <laughs> it could be that in the long run, maybe going back to a, a Sunday school and, and one service model 
might be a good idea. Maybe. And you and I have talked about that before. And, bit, yeah. and I, and I think that, I think it might be because I think that, I don't know. I, I feel like we've got to really, the, the church has, you know, it, the church environments that I have grown up in and even led have spent so much time, energy and resource, particularly in children's ministry, mm-hmm. trying to recruit train and maintain volunteers. And, and if you're going to, if you're going to have a, you know, what you might call a traditional children's ministry in, you know, I guess the more common traditions of the local church, it takes a, an army of volunteers. People, yeah. If your church oh, it, is it, over, it's it still, it still takes tons with, with us. I mean, even during that education hour, I mean, there's, there's group leaders and, and large group leaders and craft people. I mean, it, it's that part's no different. Um, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, we do approach Sunday school sort of programming more similar to, uh, how kids church, you know, might pan out at least with more of a a small group bent, uh, on it perhaps. Um, but I, I, I think the, the primary differences are perhaps in, uh, how we describe and uh, how how I would describe the use and purpose uh, thereof, um, you know, regardless of of people's take on on Luther's whole uh, scope of his theological understanding. I mean, one thing I think is particularly helpful as we explore this topic, and that being that uh, the father is the the head of the household for spiritual matters as well. That. Churches, from Luther's perspective, and and therefore is one of the things that I've adapted from that from from my study and my own personal tradition, is that it's not a go to church and you know that's where you learn about Jesus and then you go do everything else and your job as a dad is to teach them how to you know drive a remote control car and how to fish. Um, but your job is to teach them how to understand Scripture, to teach them the Lord's Prayer. I mean, everything in Luther's small catechism was never meant for a, for a confirmation class, so to speak. It was never meant for catechetical instruction outside of the home. And that's how it's used, and it's used effectively. Uh, but the small catechism does not stand on its own. It's joined by the large catechism, which was the instruction manual uh, for the heads of household. I mean, it was very much you had your teacher's guide, that's your large catechism, and you had your student's guide, that was your small catechism. And I think that component uh, of the family unit uh, being your own small group, so to speak, is, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's something that we struggle with implementing with busy schedules and things like that. But I think that that uh, may be uh, one of the glaring differences and, and perhaps something that could be adapted with, uh, uh, with some success as we take advantage of the disruption of COVID uh, mm-hmm. to kind of yeah. rebuild and rethink how we minister uh, to the whole family of God uh, with which we're entrusted. Good stuff. You got anybody got anything else to add? You got anything else, Bradley? 
I'm, I'm glad we got more contribution from you, John, today than we were anticipating. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it wasn't, it, it turns out it, it, it wasn't my problem. Um, and this isn't meant to be cocky, but uh, mo- anyone who does IT, including uh, you by association with your dad, Cody, would understand this. It's rarely the IT guy's problem. <laughs> it's usually from us. That's uh, messing up. We, PEBCAC, you know, problem exists between keyboard and chair or an ID10T error. Uh, write that one out on paper if you don't understand what that one means. ID10T uh, errors are my uh, favorite. Yeah. Yep. Now this one, uh, this one, perhaps networking, which is almost always the case. Uh, but, uh, no, my, my systems are healthy with exemplary uptime. So uh, <laughs> I'm glad I could participate as, uh, as well. One more Actually, question. Uh, you know, it's uh, very, uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, it was a very suitable episode because, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff we talked about in the primary topic is, uh, actually what was used as our sermon message primer, uh, for this past Sunday. Uh, very so nice good stuff. Go ahead, Cody. One more question from Corey Truax and you should check out his podcast. Just search his name. It's kind of a weird name and you won't miss it. It's pretty much the only thing that'll come up. He asks if a federal quote unquote guidance is issued to churches to stop meeting because of COVID or any local government orders churches to stop meeting for the same reason, does Romans 13 demand and bind us to obey that order? Uh, (laughs) At this point I would say maybe. Right. So Doug Wilson has, has used a couple of really good illustrations for, for what's going on right now, where if, if, uh, the fire department shows up in the middle of our church service and says, Hey, you don't know this, but your roof is on fire and everybody needs to get out. Hmm. Uh, the elders aren't going to meet together for 15 minutes yeah. <laughs> be like, okay, I guess you're right. We should. Um, and if, and if the cops show up and say, Hey, there's a sniper across the street hmm. and we need to evacuate this area and the, you know, up to a perimeter of however many yards or miles or whatever, uh, same thing. Yeah. But if that happens, every single week (laughs) and and the science shows COVID isn't as deadly as we thought it was doesn't mean it's not deadly uh so keeping that in mind but at the same time uh so you know we talk about rights and stuff within the constitution uh the bill of rights is not um grant it's not privileges granted by our government they are recognized god-given rights and so many people miss that right and and congress shall make no law regarding the establishment or free exercise of religion period so yeah. so there there at least comes a point where like governor Inslee in washington state has has banned choirs and bands and he does not have that right as the governor and I agree there, there's a, there's a constitutional element to this. And then there's a biblical element. Yep. Um, and the, the imperative in Romans 13 is submit. Right. Submission does not always include obedience. Right. Um, and I think this is new. I, I still put this whole thing in the category. It's nuanced. It's not yep. black and white. Yep. They're not telling us not to proclaim the gospel. That's very black and white. Right. Uh, and Peter and John and acts, uh, four were told to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they said, Nope, we're not going to do that, but you get to decide what happens to us. That's right. submission without obedience. Yep. So this might be 
moving in that direction. Right. I mean, the, the, the posture that John MacArthur has taken, uh, in a lot of ways, I admire it. I mean, I, the, yeah. there is a, there's, a, there's an, I think a grounds upon which you can say, look, the God commands the church to gather for worship yep. and, and therefore we cannot obey this instruction from our government. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can submit to governing authority. So if the police show up and arrest John MacArthur, he should submit to that. Yeah, nobody, Nobody's breaking out a 12 gauge no. to fight off the cops. Exactly. And at the same time, there is also a constitutional issue with this yep. that we can appeal to, you know, when Paul was uh, Acts 20. Did, did we talk about this last week? We did in the podcast mm-hmm. where yeah. when Paul was stretched out and about ready to be flogged and he turned around and goes, uh, is it legal for you to do that to a Roman citizen? Yeah. <laughs> and the guy drops yeah, that's, his foot. That's, that's a really clever uh, story there. Hey, I've got to jump on to a call. I just wanted to give uh, one quick final thought. Um, if that does become the case, uh, I would certainly like Jason Houtsma, a previous show guest from Worship Artistry, uh, to uh, please give us tabs and arrangements for We're Not Gonna Take It by Twisted Sister. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, I think you that need to end the show good. right there. Yeah. Mic um, drop by John Ross. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Subscribe and share. We'll see you next week. <laughs>